we have a right to eternal life that is the power of the cross. It reminds us that there is healing and salvation and redemption and deliverance in the power of the cross. You see, it is at the cross that I first saw the light. It is at the cross where the burdens of my heart was rolled away. It was there by faith. I received my sight. And you know why I'm happy? Because of the cross. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being there? Can you imagine living in those times? Can you imagine what it could have possibly felt like to witness the matchless Savior being hung on a cross? Just point to yourself and say, for me. Well, look, we have someone here today who has a personal firsthand account. Can we put our hands together, church, as we welcome today the ex-crossmaker? Shalom. My name is Ben Levi from the tribe of Levi, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. My former occupation was that of being a crossmaker. Just like to set in context what it meant to wear the title of being a crossmaker. To be a crossmaker was kind of like taking claim to making electric chairs. Electric chairs were or are the symbol of death. And back in my day, during during the height of my occupation, the cross was a symbol not of feigned glory, but the cross was a symbol of death. It was a thriving industry to make, to make crosses during the time that I was, I was actually on the scene. I made a real good living making crosses uh, until that ill-fated Friday. I'll, I'll never forget. And so usually it's this time of year that I get invitations to come and to tell my testimony about my life and what it felt like to be an ex-crossmaker. I want you to understand that my profession isn't one that rallies or invites huge celebration. As a matter of fact, I was highly reviled, kind of like a tax collector. I was ostracized. And not too many people wanted to have 
a whole lot to do with me. But you see, I, I got sucked into this thing because of money. The, the, the money was good. The money was, the money was flowing. And, and whenever, you, whenever you sign a deal with the devil, it's, it's, it can be hard. It can be hard to escape. And because I pledged my allegiance to King Herod, it was as though I sold my soul or a pile of lumber. Think about it. The guilt of being a former crossmaker. It was my handiwork. It was my craftsmanship that created the torture device that God himself would die on. That's hard to get out of my head, the guilt that comes behind those kinds of thoughts that I created the cross that Jesus was cruelly crucified on. Well, where it all started? I never grew up wanting to be a crossmaker. You, you must understand that. That's not something that was down in my blood. It wasn't in my genes. Uh, my genes. I wasn't having dreams of being, of being a crossmaker. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I kind of got uh, happenstance by way of happenstance. I fell into into this profession. My my parents. You must see my my parents. They were they were shepherds and. Dad thought it was best if he diversified, and so what Dad did was he decided to send me to tailoring school. And off to tailoring school I went, but tailoring school, it just wasn't for me. I mean, you know, just making garments. I didn't like the sweatshops. I, 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 didn't, like, I didn't like working with the needles. And while I was away at, at tailoring school, and just to be real honest with you, the professors were boring. While I was away, though, I picked up an internship at the local uh, sawmill. Boy, those were the days. I, I, I picked up the internship because I was just really just trying to pay my way through school. But it was something about being there at the sawmill. It was the, it was the conversation that happened. Nothing like lumberjack talk. I liked being around those hard, roughed hand Rough hands, those, those men, I think your president would call it, that always share locker room talk. <laughs> I, I kind of like that, and it was something about me and them that they, that they welcomed me with open arms, and I, I kind of found that I had a niche for working with wood. You see, in Jerusalem back in that time, the economy was booming. I... I I, I never would have thought that it would have taken so much. But here, here I was being funded and enjoying the ride. You know what? I never went back to tailoring school. Truth is, just wasn't for me. Everybody there at the lumberjack shop 
agreed that, that I, was, I was an apprentice that was on his way to the top in this whole, in this whole industry. People, people saw that I had a knack for it. So quickly, there was this upward mobility. I found myself shooting to the top, uh, headed to the top of the game. And, 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 I, and, and, and I had a good relationship with the owner of the sawmill, Mr. Silverstein. It's one thing to be in good relationship with the workers. But it's another thing to be in good relationship with the owner. And Mr. Silverstein just kind of took to me. You know, I, I know the people have been talking about me and I guess and, you know, talking about my knack and this, that and the other. And Mr. Silverstein started spending time with me and teaching me about what it was like to run a sawmill and own a sawmill. And, and as he would spend time with me, uh, uh, there was this relationship that was forged that went beyond just lumber. And Mr. Silverstein had an odd situation because he didn't have any family. And he was just kind of like the sole proprietor. And there, there was nobody else in his family that he was training as another young familial apprentice. He was... He was just kind of running it on his own. And so it's kind of like when I showed up, I was meeting one of his needs. And when he showed up, he was meeting one of my needs. And because he didn't have family, he just kind of took me in. And you know what? Before long, Mr. Silverstein made me a junior partner of the sawmill. See, when you treat folk right, they treat you right. So there I was. I was doing it. Oh, had my business cards made. You know, I, I walked with a new strut. And I, Traded my hoop in and went and, went and bought me uh, bands and put some new shoes and feet on it, put some rims on it, and put a little system in there. And uh, I was doing it. And suddenly, out of nowhere, uh, the one who was like a second dad to me died. What am I going to do? Here I am. Not, not just losing a boss, but I, I lost a friend. So uh, I got this interesting news because the executor delivered me a message that I was now the inheritor of the sawmill. Yeah, you, you, you look at me like I was looking at him. I couldn't believe that that I had inherited the entire sawmill. Now, I'm the head man in charge. But there was something going on in the economy that kind of threw things for a loop. A, a really bad recession hit. Things kind of just hit the bottom. and Folk were losing jobs. People were losing homes. I mean, the economy, it was, it was really in the pits. It was... It was absolutely horrible, and, and here I was left to try to figure out, as a, as a new head of business, how am I going to make this lumberyard work? How, how am I, I going to eat? How, how am I going to feed my family? What, what am I, I going to do? And, and you know what? I had money troubles. But the Romans were conquering so much. And I never will forget that a 
day, that day when the Roman military exec showed up at my house or my office, I couldn't believe y'all, the biggest order we had ever gotten in our, in our company was when that Roman military exec asked me to make 2,000 crosses. 2,000 crosses. Here we are. We had been making furniture and other kind of, you know, wooden things. And we weren't specializing in, in crosses because I knew what a cross was. I, I knew what the Romans were going to do with that cross. And 2,000? And, and, you know, it was kind of like joy and pain. The joy was, I'm about to get paid. The joy was, now I can take care of my family. But the pain also settled in because I knew that, that, that if, if, I, if I took this job, that was it. You see, Herod, he was like all in or nothing. Herod was like, once you start working with him, you can't stop. And I quickly signed on the dotted line. Y'all can understand, right? You, you get it. You, you get it. I take care of my family. Don't judge me. Don't, 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 don't judge me for what I did. I, I had to take care of my family. It was, I mean, who else was going to feed them? Who else was going to take care of them? I had to take care of my family. I, wasn't, I, wasn't, I didn't, I didn't want to do it. I, 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 re, I really didn't want to do it. And, but I, I had to, right? But please don't, don't leave me out here by my... I, I had to do it. I, 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 that's what I kept telling myself. That I, I have to do it. I have to do it. The Romans were nobody to play with. The Roman dynasty was really that. It was a dynasty. The Romans were a force to be reckoned with. I mean, they were on the scene for like 500 years, dominating. They had territory that went as far as the Ganges River and then down into Assyria and into Babylon and over to the British Isles. I mean, the Romans, their dynasty was clearly established and nobody messed with the Romans. Nobody took mess from the Romans. But they were a cruel people. Oh, they were mean. They wouldn't give you another chance. You crossed the Romans, you were going to end up on a cross. And don't even think about speaking bad about Herod. Y'all enjoy freedom of speech. Wasn't no freedom of speech for me. Not in my day. Where you enjoy being able to say what, what's on your mind because Constitution provides that kind of ability. Not for me. You speak against Herod, and they were after you. They, they were coming for you. They weren't going to be nice when they showed up. So how do you deal with crucifying folk? I, I wasn't the one putting them on the cross. I was just making the cross. 
I mean, you know, doing some R&D, some research and development every now and then I'd have to show up and go over to to where 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 they were. And and, and I, 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 I know I know it's going to sound bad, but I witnessed so many crucifixions until they really kind of just numbed me. I mean, it, it just kind of, you know, you know, it just it just kind of, you know, it, it's just another one. I mean, it's a bad job, but somebody's got to do it. And why not get paid? And, so, so the, the intensity and the cruelty and the inhumanity in the crucifixion, I just got numb to it. You know, I, I was just trying to fulfill my order. I, I signed on the dotted line for 2,000 crosses. And whatever y'all want me to do, I'm, I'm not going to speak against Herod. Just going to do my job. Now, the actual construction of the crosses um, was interesting. It, 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 took, it took a bit of craftsmanship, yes. My crosses had a signature about them, yes. But it was fairly easy. It was fairly easy. Uh, the concept was you take two pieces of, of wooden, of, of wooden beams, one longer than the other. You would take the shorter one, lie it horizontal to the vertical one. You would attach it, you would attach it there. But, but, but I, I had two kinds of crosses. I was not only trying to get the folk that were going to shop at Walmart, but I also had my premium crosses. I, I had the crosses that were limited to the Buckhead area. See, see, my cheap crosses, you can only use those once. Put a criminal on him. He crucified, he get crucified, he died, you had to throw that one away. But my premium crosses, when they would die, you just kind of wash it off with water and, you know, and just kind of wipe it down a little bit and you could use those over and over again. And the difference, structurally speaking now, between my cheap crosses and my premium crosses is that the premium crosses had this little thing here called the saddle. The saddle, the saddle was, was it was my brilliance. It was my idea of keeping the criminal up longer. It was to allow him to suffer longer. And what the saddle would do is it would keep him in place. It would keep him from ripping off the cross. So he would rest there on, on the saddle of, of, of my cross. My premium cross. That was just a little small. You cut out a hole in Slide a little piece of wood in and the brilliance of my premium, my premium cross. Excuse me, I just had a flashback that I was thinking about my old days that I was the one whose craftsmanship would be used. Crucify Jesus. The Romans, as I mentioned, they were cruel people and they had this thing down to science. You wouldn't just go from your trial straight to the cross. Because they had so many folk they were crucifying who were speaking against Herod and committing other kind of crimes. What the Romans would do, they would, they would flog you first. 
They, they would scourge you. Now, now the flog, I don't have one today because I wasn't a flog maker, but the flog it was about yay long and it had all these, these leather strips that came from it. But it wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't just the leather or the handle, but attached throughout at intermittent spaces. In those leather strips were metal and bone and glass. And what the Romans would do, I told you they were some cruel, some cruel folk. They would, they would beat the criminal before they went to the cross. Sometimes the beatings would be so intense until they would die before they actually made it to the cross. 39 lashes would criminals get to the back. It was illegal to hit them 40 times, so they would stop it 39 times. They would put two-thirds of the stripes on the criminal's back, then put another third across his chest before they would end up one of my crosses. The Romans were trying to, I guess, be politically correct and considerate of the traditional ways of the people of the Jews. And so one time a year, they would make it possible for a criminal to be pardoned, to be set free. And so this just happened to be around the time that I was there and it was Passover time. The Jews were celebrating and just kind of to make peace with the Jews as a goodwill gesture, if you would. They put on this, this show. About three million folk gathered. And it was left up to the people. Who do we free? Do we free Barabbas? Or do we free Jesus? Now, this was the same Jesus that one week ago had ridden into town and they had put palm trees, palm leaves down. And they had cried, Hosanna. Hosanna. The same, the same crowd of folk are there and they put up Barabbas. Let me tell you, Barabbas' rap sheet was so long and so bad, I don't even want to defile your thought process to tell you what this joker had done. Jesus is being brought up on trumped up charges, such as the fact that he was proclaiming to be the son of God. And do you know when they put Barabbas and Jesus up and asked the question, who do you want? The crowd began to cheer, Barabbas, Barabbas, give us Barabbas. So this criminal, Barabbas, gets freed. Now, Jesus slated for crucifixion. That dreaded night. Hey, you know, it's kind of like I remember it like it was yesterday. That, that Thursday night. At home in bed, lying next to my wife, bam, 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 bam. This knocking came at the door. This violent knocking, and it, it wasn't any of my neighbors. I mean, the kind of the kind of force that was being executed in that knock. It, it sounded like it was coming from a Roman soldier, and indeed it was. And 
Fear immediately gripped my heart because I started thinking, have I done something? They ain't coming for me. Baby, it's an emergency. Baby, I, you, my thoughts were just all over the place. And so I jumped up. I put on my tunic. I kissed my wife just in case I wouldn't see her again. And I rushed down to the door, opened the door. As I'm on my way to the door, I hear, Levi, Levi, open up in the name of the Roman government. And I thought about it. Oh, my God, that document that I signed. And after breaking a brief moment of paralysis, I knew I couldn't hide. I knew they knew I was at home. I opened the door. And there they were. I could just hope that what I was about to hear didn't directly involve me. But there was a trial that was going on. Because this Jesus that the crowd ignored is now on trial. The problem is, it's illegal to have trials at night. Judges don't sit on the bench to conduct trials at night. It's illegal to have trials at night. But yet there was a, there was a trial that was going on. And, and as, as that trial was going on, the Roman soldier started to give me a little inside information and he started to kind of tell me that it wasn't looking good for that wretch named Jesus. He was fairly certain that he, there was going to be a crucifixion on Friday. And that the reason why he was there was because he needed, he needed some more of my crosses. He started off saying, we got, we got two additional thieves that we're going to crucify next to Jesus. Uh, and, and I broke in. I said, I already made those crosses. You know, because I was trying to, trying to stop them from thinking. I didn't want them to cut off my stream of income. I, I'd already done what I was supposed to do. I'd already made those first two crosses. I was waiting for y'all to come and pick up the crosses tomorrow morning. He says, that's not it. I understand that. But we need one of your premium crosses. I, I said, all right, no problem. I'll just stay up all night. I'll get it done. I'll get it done because, you know, my name was signed on that contract. I stayed up all night putting together one of my premium crosses. And before the sun came up on that Friday morning, I had delivered the crosses to Antonine's fortress, which was right next to the temple area. Y'all, I was tired. It had been a long day at work. My sleep had been interrupted that night. I had worked for the early part through the wee hours of the morning, I couldn't get to any of my workers, so I had to transport these three crosses. I was tired, but I did it. I got it done. And after I delivered my crosses, I wasn't much of a Jew, even though I was from the tribe of Levi. I wasn't much of a Jew, and just kind of do what I saw everybody else do that said they were Jewish. I went on back home and had a traditional Jewish meal, ate me some fish, some unleavened bread during this time of Passover. And I got me a little rest. And I noticed on that afternoon that there was this energy that was flowing. I figured I'd get out because I hadn't opened the office that day. I was a little too tired. Got out in the crowd, went for a walk, and folk doing that regular thing. You got beggars, 
every corner. Alms, alms, give me alms. Then you got hawkers. Flashing. Want to buy a watch? How about some designer shades? Want a Rolex? How about a Louis bag? You know, they're walking through the walking through the crowds, folk trying to hustle and sell me stuff and you know just 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 kind of what's happening you know it was it got more intense because there was so many folk that were gathered in Jerusalem during this time of year but as I as I am making my way through the crowd I, I heard something that came from back over that way this this loud ruckus that came and I pushed my way through the crowd and came upon what looked like a group of criminals they were all huddled around this one man, spitting on him, jeering at him, cursing at him. And they kept calling his name Jesus. There, there he was, the sense and the target of all of their hatred. Ah, he looked so bad. Clearly, he had been scorched. He had a wreath on his head. His hair was caked up with blood and his clothes were stuck to his back. And then I saw it. Huh. Then I saw it. Carrying on his back was one of my crosses. Carrying on my back, carrying on his back was, was one, of my, one of my pieces of craftsmanship. That looked like what I just delivered earlier that morning and something different about this time. Seeing, seeing this cross on his back. I guess it was where I was placed, but he kind of stumbled towards my direction. And he kind of, he fell down and I wanted to jump in and help him up. But I also knew that the Romans were mean. That they would probably chasten me and whip me. And so I, I just stood back and, and looked at what was going on. And as he, as he, under the weight of one of my crosses, lifted his head, our eyes caught. And it was as though time just stopped. I'd never been so captivated by a simple look. In the midst of being brutally wounded in his body. In his eyes I could see a profound sense of peace. Even though he was being driven to crucifixion. He, he demonstrated that he was still in complete control. It's hard to believe. It's hard to believe that this was the same one who had been celebrated. Now he's being beat, beaten. And, and after that brief encounter, after that brief encounter, after locking eyes with him, I, I, I understood why so many folk were always talking about how they were compelled to follow this man named Jesus. I never looked in the eyes like that. I never seen what I saw. In Jesus' eyes. There was this fascinating 
mysterious presence. Let me tell you, in what seemed like an eternity was really just a brief moment. And after our eyes broke contact, one of those big Roman guards took his sword and he pressed his sword to one of the bystanders' side. Made him go and help Jesus. And later on we came to find out it was Simon of Cyrene of North Africa. He picked up the cross of Jesus. We're preparing to carry his cross. There I was. Caught up in this crowd. Having had an encounter with Jesus. Weighted down. By seeing up close what my work had done. There I was following the crowd of folk as Jesus was making his way through the streets of Jerusalem. I, I, I can't explain to you. I can't explain to you why I just didn't go back. But I, 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 followed, I followed the processional. I followed where they were leading him and. And as I went, suddenly out of the ground arose the distant skyline, the silhouettes of three crosses on the place called the skull. Y'all, I knew what was about to happen. I knew how this story was going to end. Then the order came from the Roman soldier. As he commanded Jesus, lay down. Jesus fell down on that cross. I'll never forget it. He didn't give him lip. He didn't, he didn't ask for anything. He didn't say anything. He, he was complicit to what the Roman soldier was saying. And that Roman soldier stretched out Jesus' hand. With a nail. I focused on the right hand. What seemingly was a prick at first. Then there was a ringing of a mallet. That drove the nail. Through this man named Jesus' hand. He began to scream as blood. Spewed out of his hand. And his hand turned into a ball of fire. Roman soldier didn't stop. He threw back his left hand. Repeated the process. Drove a nail into his left hand. Then he took his feet. Put one heel over the other. And drove the nail. Through the top of his foot. Into his second foot. That caused the nail. To stick. Into the bottom. Of the cross. Hmm. The high priest was there. The high priest yelled out. To Jesus. You've saved others. Come down now and save yourself. Another soldier chimed in. If you're king. If you're really king. Come down and then we'll believe. And I could not believe the words that came from Jesus' mouth. 
Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I want to respond and say, no, don't forgive them. Don't forget these Romans, these old dirty bastards. Don't you forgive them. They don't deserve it. Curse them back, Jesus. This hatred and resentment rose up in me, and I, I started to judge folk for what they were doing, but didn't for a moment forgot I was the one in which had created the cross that he was being nailed on. My eyes could not believe it. My eyes could not believe it. Hmm. Jesus, lie there. This amazing display of wisdom and innocence. Wise from experience. Usually when folk go through stuff and they gain wisdom, they're not so, they're not so innocent. And on the other hand, if all you got is innocence, you ain't never been through nothing. But what I saw on that cross was the perfect display of wisdom and innocence. I don't know why, but I felt my past sins come up. As I'm looking at Jesus, I start seeing all the faces of those who had died on the crosses that I had made. I, I start seeing... Then, then, then it's almost like they start to talk to me from the ground. Death to the cross maker. Death to the cross maker. Death to the cross maker. I, 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 wanted, I wanted to run, but my feet wouldn't move. Because it wasn't just Jesus. It was countless others. that my craftsmanship had caused for there to be a crucifixion. I want you to understand that Jesus wasn't just on a cross by himself. There were two other thieves that were up there. There was a thief on his right hand. And there was a thief on his left hand. The one, the one on the left hand, he, he started talking. He started talking the wrong way. Christ, some say that you're the Christ. That you came to break the back of the Roman government. Look at you now. Christ up here on a cross next to me. Now what you going to do? And the one on the right hand side of Jesus said, that's blasphemy. Hold your tongue. Don't you fear God? We are guilty. But this man in the middle has done nothing wrong. And, and, and then the thief on the cross looked at Jesus and he said, Lord, I believe. Just, just two words. Out of all of the stuff that he had rightly done to be on the cross, he, he's, got, he's been crucified too. He tells Jesus, Lord, I believe. And do you know what Jesus said? As he hung on that cross, he says, this day, you will be with me in paradise. The environment shifted. Stuff changed. The terrestrial atmosphere darkened. The air got thick. It became hard 
to breathe. It was as though life got sucked out of the moment. Some folks said it was an eclipse. The problem is we can't find an eclipse on record. But it, midday became as dark as midnight. Then the ground began, and began to respond. The earth started rocking and shaking. The ground began to rock and shake. All of us begin to look around and wonder what in the world is going on. We've not experienced an earthquake before. And as time passed, from that cross, from the man in the middle, he said, Father, to your hands, I give my spirit. He dropped his head. And gave up the ghost. I couldn't take it. I couldn't take it. The paralysis broke and I took off running. It was like my moment of reality. No way, surely this wasn't the son of God. You know, I've been battling that. I knew he was different when I saw him fall in the streets and I looked into his eyes. I knew that he was different, but I, I couldn't take it. The son of God, I... I'd kill my, my handiwork and kill the son of God. They were treating him so I couldn't take it. And as I began to wept, it wouldn't wash away my guilt. I, I ran home and I, I shut out the, shut the door and went up to my room and tried to go to sleep. But I couldn't sleep away the agony that was on the inside because I, I had been party to killing the son of God himself. No, I was in bed. Pain crawled up next to me at the thought of the fact that I had killed the Son of God. See, when you see Jesus, there's something that you'll never forget. When you really see Jesus. Friday, I spent rehearsing the rest of that evening. I spent rehearsing that tragedy, what had happened. Uh, comprehending the enigma of the cross. And after thinking about it all night, what had happened was incomprehensible. I was sad. It was, it was dreadful. It was painful. This painful reality that I had made the cross that Jesus had died on. Saturday came and it was worse than Friday. The reality hit me that this would be a day that God wouldn't be on earth. At least Friday we'd had him a half a day. This emptiness, this, this hopelessness. But then Sunday came. Oh, what a difference a day makes. Mm. Sunday had a different feel to it. I got up early that Sunday morning. And I started kind of trying to get myself together. And I noticed that it had a different feel. That there was... It was like joy. I think that's what y'all church folk call it. It's like joy in the streets and people were speaking in soft hushes as though something was going on. That there was news that was traveling throughout the streets of Jerusalem. And I, I, knew, it wasn't, I knew it wasn't news um, uh, that, that, was, that was minimal. It was maximum. Everybody was talking about this, this little buzz. And I got the first bit of tea. First bit of tea. Somebody spilled the tea. And somebody first, first told me there were some women that had been detained at an empty tomb. I said, what? Some women at an empty tomb. 
Then, then the second bit of tea came, came in and they said they're looking for disciples for grave robbery. They're looking for disciples for grave robbery. Like So empty tomb, disciples on the run. Then, then, then the last bit of tea came. He has risen just as he said he would. Y'all know how it can be. You know, you can kind of get in yourself because you start trying to figure stuff out. Something at best, this is some kind of conspiracy. At worst, it's some kind of hoax. So I'm trying to disqualify, you know, the fact that they, they've given the report an empty tomb, the disciples on the run, somebody shouting out, he's risen. I figured the only way to... To, to, to really get peace about what had happened was to go to the grave and see it myself. Amen. I wanted to see an empty tomb. So you know what I did? I picked up my tunic and I headed to the tomb. When I got to the tomb, when I got to the grave, it was like, it was like a crime scene. They had, they had police officers and FBI and Roman soul, everybody. I mean, you know, they were detaining everybody. Then, then they, had this, they had this little group of ladies that were sitting over here in the corner, and they were interrogating them. And the, the, the ladies started saying that we came to just embalm his body, but the stone was rolled away. And he wasn't in there. You know, I, I started ear hustling. Because I watched him die. I started ear hustling. Tomb was empty. Stone away. And the next part kind of freaked me out. They said there were some angels that were sitting on top of the empty tomb that asked him the question, why do you look for the living amongst the dead? He has risen just like he said he would. Oh. I almost felt hope in my soul. I almost felt hope in my soul. So I gathered, I gathered everything up together and I, I'm getting excited. But then this perpetual fear uh, kept on gripping me. And, and folk, are they mad for me making the cross? Is anybody mad? He got up out the grave, but I made the cross. Who's going to be mad at me? Who's going to come looking for me? Do I, do I, what, do, is it Herod? Or is it the disciples? Are they, uh, what? This fear gripped me. But yet and still, there was some hope that was on the inside of me. That, 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 that just maybe what had happened had something to do with me. A period of 50 days passed. I got invited to this house church meeting. I showed up. It was people from all over the world there. Everybody had different languages by birth. But everybody was talking in one language. They were reporting that just the night before, the Holy Ghost had descended and sat on everybody's heads like tongues of fire. And so, even though they were from different countries and had different native languages, they were talking in one language. They were still on fire for what had happened just the night before. 
This man named Peter was up preaching. And the disciples all gathered around. They had this look of excitement and joy on their face. They, they, they weren't running anymore. Peter's preaching. But I tell you, it's one of the best sermons I ever heard. But that joker, he was preaching the house down. But, but in the middle, I, I, I couldn't take it. See, I didn't grow up in church. I don't, I don't understand church culture. I, I shouted out, how do you know that Jesus was the Holy One of God? I know, it sounds a little audacious, don't it? Talk to the preacher like that. But the preacher didn't talk back. The other people that were there start testifying. Uh, there was a woman of Nain who had a son who had died. And she was on her way to the funeral home to bury her son. So she said, she said, I know he's alive. Said, I, I was walking one day and he stopped the funeral procession and, and gave me my son back. I, I, I know he's alive. There was a couple there from a wedding that Jesus had done at Cana of Galilee. They stood up and started testifying to me. They said, we were at our wedding and we ran out of wine. And Jesus turned water into wine. I know he's the son of God. Then there was this brother named Legion. His testimony kind of got me. He said, I had been full of demons. But one day I met Jesus and he cast the demons out of me and... Now I'm free. I used to cut myself and do harm to myself. I don't want to do that stuff no more. I know that he's alive. Then that was the invalid. That was the man who had been sick for 38 years. And every time the, the water would get troubled, he would want to get in and somebody would jump in front of him. And Jesus came up behind him and said, do you want to be made whole? And I said, yes, I do. And look at me now. I still got mobility. I got action. I know that he's alive. But all that came from folk who met him while he was alive. I, I need to hear from somebody who had met him since he had gotten up. That's when Peter spoke up. And he looked at me. He said, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be made white as snow. Some went all over me when, when, he, when, when, he, when he said that. Then the apostle John said, uh, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins. And I felt some wake up on the inside of me. I felt that I was being regimed. I felt that... I was getting an upgrade on my system that there was something that was happening on the inside of me. I believe I ain't the only ex-crossmaker. I, I, I believe that there's some other ex-crossmakers in this room. You, you, you're an ex-liar. Your lies he died for on the cross. I got some ex-thieves in here. You, you, you don't steal. You don't break in and steal, but you steal on your taxes. You, you, you steal paper from the office and you bring on company pens and you take more cookies than you should take. You an ex. 
cross maker. I got some ex-fornicators that are in here. You used to hit it and quit it. You used to bounce from bed to bed. I got some ex-adulterers in here. Even though you were married, you were tipping out. You would creep, 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 creep. I got some ex-cross makers in here. Can I tell you what? All an ex is, is a cross turned on its side. Touch your neighbor and say, you didn't hear what he said. You didn't. All an ex is, is a cross turned on its side. Can I say, we all have a testimony. We all have participated in crucifying Jesus. I'm not the only ex-crossmaker. I spent past 35, 40 minutes telling you my testimony. Telling you my story. But I believe while I was talking, that Holy Spirit was working. Much prayer has gone into today. Much planning has gone into today. In the Christian world, they say that Easter is the Super Bowl of the church. You know, it, it grieves me because some of you won't come back until next Easter. If we're lucky, you might bring your mother on Mother's Day if we offer a gift. Or else you'll just suffer her and go with her to her church. Some of you won't come back or show up or set foot in church until next Easter. I think God is doing two things. We have a heart for the lost. We started Relevant Life TV because we want to reach the unchurched and the de people that haven't found a place and where to connect. And the gospel and the preaching of the gospel just doesn't make sense. They don't find the relevance in the word of God. But if there's anything that will work, it is the word of God. Two groups of folk that I'm looking for. In the 11 years that we have been doing church, we've never targeted, I've never prayed and asked God to send me somebody else's members. Church transfer doesn't excite me. God calls you, I'm happy to be your pastor. We're, we're happy to be your pastors. We do our absolute level best. But if you think we got it all right and that we don't make mistakes, you might not want to join. But I know that God sends people that share the same values as we do. We would absolutely love for you to join, be a part of this church. It's one group of people. Here's the second group of folk. I'm really, really interested in. 
Maybe you were invited to this place today and you just didn't have nothing else to do. Or, or maybe, maybe, you know, you had a new outfit and you wanted to rock it to church. But you got plans that includes mimosas and bellinis after you leave church and maybe a booty call. But like the ex-crossmaker, your path has been weaved and woven into this place on today. And that God wants to have an encounter with you. You know what? I don't have to do the work. The work is totally up to Holy Spirit. We've done everything we know to do. We've, we've done Facebook ads. We've posted. We've prayed. We've cried. We've sent emails. We've sent texts. We've, we've done everything that we know to do. This is your moment of truth. This is between the Holy Spirit and you. Don't let your cross send you to hell. Heads about, eyes are closed. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for what the work of the Holy Spirit is doing in this place. Thank you, Father, for how you are working in our hearts. God, I thank you for those right now that are having ex-crossmaker moments, that they're seeing their past sin being drudged up the hearts they've broken, the lives they've messed up, the families that they've destroyed. Father, thank you that you forgive and that you set free. Thank you that you forgive and that you set free. Thank you that you forgive and that you set free. Thank you that you forgive and that you set free. Thank you that you forgive and that you set free. Thank you that you forgive and you set free. Thank you that you forgive and you set free. That word is for you, that God has forgiven you and wants to set you free of what has held you. But then for those of you who've never had an encounter with God, you've never been brought to the point and to the place to where your past and your sins have to be acknowledged. Can I tell you that there's not enough dope that will take the pain away permanently. There's not enough liquor. There's not enough sex. There's not enough TV guzzling of episodes, of shows that'll take the pain away. The only thing that will stop your pain is a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is an encounter with Jesus Christ. If you've never seen Jesus Christ in your heart, I am speaking to you right now. Our heads are bowed. If you fall into any of those categories, I want to be saved. I need a savior. I'm tired of carrying this cross by myself. Can I tell you that when Levi went from making crosses to the decision, I'm going to carry my cross. I'm going to walk after Jesus. If you're here and you fall into any of those categories, of people, would you please just stand on your feet or touch your neighbor? You don't even know what to do. You, you might not even know what to. You might even know what to do. You're, I see you standing. Would you please join me here at this altar? If there's somebody else here, 
look, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of living this life. I'm tired of living this life. I'm tired of faking it. Yes, come on, come on, come on. I'm tired of, I'm tired of faking it. I'm, trying to, I'm tired of acting like I got it all together. If you're here, 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 yes, come, 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 come. I don't care what. It doesn't get worse than Levi's story. Ben Levi's, it doesn't get any worse. And you know what? If you had just stolen a pen, or if you made the cross, he would have made the same sacrifice. He would have had to die on the same cross. And he would have just for you. When he hung there, he was seeing you. Do not miss your opportunity. Don't you dare spit in the face of Jesus. God is giving you another opportunity. God is giving you another chance to get some stuff right. I got believers, you're praying with me. 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 I can't wait until until we start seeing folk come in here because they're tired of living in crack houses and the testimony I used to lay on my back to get paid. I used to slang dope. Oh, we got some exes here. Don't get me wrong, but I'm talking about, I'm talking about when that becomes normative because the gates of hell are being stormed. If you're here, if you're here, if you're here, if you're here. I want somebody to pray with me. I just need somebody to join their faith with me. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you too. I'm talking to you too. Want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? You're ready for your next? God is waiting for you. God is waiting for you. My brother and my sister. God is waiting for you. This isn't a production. This isn't about entertainment. We have treated this thing like the only thing between you and hell is this moment. Did you hear what I said? We have treated this moment... Like the only thing between you and hell is right now. Do not seal your fate. Do not seal your fate. Rejoice. Because he's alive. He lives. Christ has risen. Christ has risen.